Welcome to another episode of Global U Talks, where college-age entrepreneurs travel the world and interview experts in technology, entrepreneurship, and the kingdom way of life. Today, we have Seth Barnes interviewing Chris Height. Seth is the co-founder of Global U, as well as the founder of Adventures and Missions and the World Race. Chris Height is the principal and co-founder of Coraline Companies, as well as Kensington Real Estate Group, a real estate investment company. He has an extensive background in commercial property management, having managed directly or indirectly over 500 million square feet of office, retail, and industrial property in the Western United States. Chris Height also possesses a degree in business and entrepreneurship from the University of Southern California, a degree in art history from Arizona State University, and is currently pursuing a Master of Liberal Arts degree at John Hopkins University. So today, Seth and Chris discuss the early parts of their entrepreneurial journey, specifically Chris's. He started his company right out of college, which you will hear about. And it's really about what type of mindsets did he have? Um, how did he overcome the obstacles early on in his journey? And then we open it up about 15, 20 minutes in to our students, and we have about 15 minutes of Q&A. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Chris has a very refreshing perspective on early stage entrepreneurship. So, you know, 18, early 20s, early stage in your life and how to develop that mindset. So without further ado, I give you this podcast episode with Seth Barnes and Chris Height. Can we talk today about maybe how we move from being a young person into uh, the position of being an entrepreneur and taking risk and knowing if, in fact, that's a, a good career move for us? So we've got these students here and even our staff. And, and at various times, we ask ourselves, am I the kind of person who would do well in this or am I better off just joining somebody else's business and letting them leave? Do I want to take on all the risk of being an entrepreneur? And as a Christian entrepreneur, how do you do that? I think our students would love to hear more of your story about uh, those times in your life when you knew that there was going to be a big risk. You're putting your family, not just yourself and your career, but your whole family you're putting at risk. And how do you make those decisions? If you're looking for a dissenting opinion on whether to do or not, you ask the wrong person because I was an entrepreneur. <laughs> I was an entrepreneur major at, at, at school and then immediately started my business about a, a year and a half out of school So uh, in, in 1990. So I've been 30 years an entrepreneur and I honestly couldn't endorse it more strongly enough. And I think as a young person, the benefit for me was I could start a business and live on $500 a month. I didn't, I didn't have a family at that time. I was really focusing on what sort of person and impact I wanted to have in, in the community. And we chose you know, real estate to open our business because that's the business that we had been been operating in. This is my college roommate and I, when we started the business, literally with nothing. I took money off of credit cards. He took money from um, some money he had received in an inheritance, threw it into a pot. And we're talking about money. It was like 5,000 bucks. I took everything I owned on. That was two credit cards for me. Maxed them out put the capital in and we started with nothing, bought a software program, hung our shingle and then went knocking on doors. And I, and honestly, Seth, I'm 54 now. When I was 22 or 24, when we started it, I looked like I was 12 years old. And so I, <laughs> I was in a meeting. I remember a pitch meeting one time where I was sitting in the lobby 
And the receptionist said, uh, and I kept saying, is so-and-so ready for the meeting? And she, she looked at me and she goes, um, are we waiting for anyone? I'm like, what do you mean are we waiting? Well, uh, she literally said, are we waiting for your father? She oh, thought, no. <laughs> no. She thought I was like a kid tagging along with my dad in a business meeting. And I'm like, no, I am Mr. Height, so let's, let's get along with it. <laughs> that, was, that was fun as well. So I had that challenge of looking like I was 12 and also trying to start a business. But it's, I look at entrepreneurship like I look at art. You mentioned I'm a photographer. I'm also an art historian. I have a degree in art history as well as business entrepreneurship. And so I look at it like art. And I think as artists, what entrepreneurs are great at, it's observing their surrounding and their culture and then moving to respond you know, to meet those needs. And it sounds so simplistic, but if you don't stop to first absorb and take in, and you got to be willing to take in the pain points because those pain points, those thresholds, right. those crossing right. points, that's the moment of opportunity, right? You necessarily want to go into a, to a space that's, unless you have a, a better mousetrap, you don't want to go into the mousetrap business. You're looking for those pain points, those places where you think you can respond and make a difference and, and truly add value, not just... I think opportunistically, you know, um, someone tried to get me into the business here in the last month of let's go like start charging these tenants a thousand dollars to process their PPP applications. And I was like, I don't want to be in that business. These folks, <laughs> I would rather teach them how to do these things, but I don't want to charge them. That's a, maybe it was an opportunity. Maybe it was a pain point, but you know, I had to evaluate. I'm, I'm into long-term value, not just a short-term gain. For me, I just said, I have no interest in that. It might be a great business model for now, but that's not something I that I feel good about, so to speak. So it sounds like you are you know, almost genetically predisposed to go into places that are ambiguous. An artist does that, begins with a blank piece of paper or a blank screen or, you know, and then creates. And I wonder about the person who is not as prone to take on risk, something that we need to have in our gut before we go and be an entrepreneur. Was it for you like the really the only kind of career option that you considered because of the way you're built? Or how did you get to the place where you realized, I'm just not like other people. I need to do something on my own. Uh, that's a great question. My dad was not an entrepreneur. He was an engineer. He worked for a petroleum company most of his life. Now, later in life, he started his own consulting business because he realized he had, because of his context, but that wasn't until he was in his late 50s, early 60s. I, If you were to go back to my high school yearbook and say, what do you want to be? I, it says entrepreneur. I've always yeah. just always just wanted to, to be that person who creates something. And probably that's the right word. Yeah. So I don't think there, I don't think that there is a quintessential entrepreneurial profile. We, we tend to look at some of the Silicon Valley guys and the guys in tech and say, well, you got to be brilliant. You have to be computer engineering degree from Cal or Stanford or something to be able to be successful. And I, I fundamentally don't think that there is a, a set formula any more than there's a set formula for being a leader. And I think you can make a really good argument that a great entrepreneur is inherently a great leader because they're willing to listen and respond and they can come from a place of introversion or great extroversion. It doesn't matter. It's uh, one of my early one of my early things that I read, um, probably when it trying to when it came out, but it was uh, Jim Collins' Good to Great. Collins makes a fantastic argument for leadership of of both existing you know publicly traded businesses and small businesses 
right. that the best entrepreneur leaders are servant leaders. In other words, they give of themselves, they respond yeah. to folks, they put other folks first. Um, the kind of person that you would want to to follow in the battle, so to speak, if you're in the military. And many times, it, the early days of a of an entrepreneur venture can feel like you're in battle because it is all hands on deck, 16 hours a day. Right. There is right. no breaks. Yeah. Uh, you're constantly you know dealing with challenges and problems and pivots and conversations. But man, is that exciting! <laughs> I love Jim Collins. He's yeah. one of my favorite uh, guys. You know, you know what he says to live a successful life. He says he's got three basic uh, tenets. And the first is to, to live a simple life, yeah. to un, unclutter. And he says to maximize the time in the flow state and the time you spend with people you love. But those are his, his three things. A segue to maybe give, giving advice to uh, our young people here how, what filters would you give young people in terms of deciding whether being the, the ultimately for payroll and for uh, product market fit and all those decisions, how do you make that decision uh, about that versus going in and following somebody else's lead and getting a job somewhere? Um, I think it comes down to some level to, to a passion. Do you have an idea? Do you have a thought? that uh, or, or a plan that you can develop into yeah. a, a well-reasoned thought out uh, business plan and let's be honest the best business plans are those that we treat like a science experiment where you have a hypothesis you go into it and you validate does this really work there are plenty of business business plans that come out of it saying the numbers yeah. just aren't there the risk and return right. uh, don't make any sense so let's see if there's a pivot here or, or there is an opportunity but sometimes when you just dive in it's like anything you can talk about the ocean, you can look at the ocean, you can talk about the waves and, and everything, but until you're out there, man, it's, it's, yeah. it's a whole different story. But once you're out there, it's like, hey man, the waves aren't that big or, or we got beyond them. It's actually warmer than they were talking to us about. Hey, let's swim around a bit and see what's going on here. It's, it's, it's getting past that initial fear. And there's, look, I was nervous as heck when I decided to, to start the business. I won't lie, but you, you push past it. There's, that's the only way, real way you can say it. It's in, and I always had in the back of my mind, look, I'm 20 something years old. I don't have a giant home that I need to worry about. I don't have a lot of clutter. You mentioned Collins talking about a simple life. My life was inherently simple because I didn't have two nickels to rub together. And for me, it was like, I guess it can always fall back to going to work for someone if I had to, but the reverse cannot be said. You go to work for someone and you are working for the man to leave the security of that paycheck, to leave the security of the 401k and go back in entrepreneurship, that road is not well-traveled necessarily. Plenty of people have done it, certainly, and left their jobs and been quite successful. But mm-hmm. as a young person, you're in a unique place where literally you can live on tuna fish, and like I did, and top ramen for two years if you had to. And that's about right. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That I, I love it, and that's my life. So again, I I love talking to people like you, Chris, who have done that, because it's it's exhilarating and it's scary, and then to actually succeed is uh, such a gift. And and for some people, now to the students and and have them follow up with questions before the students. Speak. So I would just say the one other thing I would add to that and something that they drilled into our heads in entrepreneur school, which was seeking to build a team around you. 
you think of yourself as mm. kind of a siloed entrepreneur. I have to do this. I'm taking on this risk. I'm doing all this stuff. It's I, I, I. But in reality, when you look around and you start to build a team and that team can be mentors, a team can be peers, but that team can also be, I got my first accountant, my first attorney, my first what have you, and picking those people that speak into you and have been through that, that well-rutted yeah. ro- road, it can be quite helpful and add a lot of confidence when you look around and you say, oh, it's not just me. I actually have six people that that are in my car with me. So it's a, it, it adds a, a stability and a, and a desire to push forward as well. So anyways, I wanted to say that. And that was something right. that they beat into our heads in the entrepreneur program every day. So true and hard to build. Okay, let's, uh, let's go to the class and your questions. I have one. What is something that you wish you would have told yourself as a 22-year-old entrepreneur? It's sitting right here. <laughs> it says, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Wow. And in essence, what that says is have the courage to follow what, what you think is right and your passion and not necessarily fit into this. I'm supposed to go get a go get a job at Arthur Anderson or some big six accounting firm or big four or however many there are now and just go do this thing. It's no, being an entrepreneur has risk and people will tell you, oh my gosh, it's going to be so hard. You're going to starve. It's going to be so scary. And you're like, yeah, and that's what excites me about it. Yeah. Go do it. Yeah. But I have that sitting right there taped. <laughs> <laughs> so I never forget especially the others expected of me part. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Thank you. Of course. Yeah, I got a question. So when you talked about like when you first started withdrawing money and getting stuff together to start your own company with your business part, your college uh, roommate, what did getting your feet wet initially look like for that? Like what was that first terrifying step? Oh, the first terrifying step was just going into debt because not everyone has capital from a family or capital from an investor to, to jump into something. So we, we were self-funded. Fortunately, we're going into an industry where there was not a huge barrier to entry. So for us, is we were going to be real estate managers. And so our real biggest cost was software, accounting software, so we could operate the properties. And then the next big step was we got to get out in front of people with a pitch and an idea to be different than that was there's a lot of competitors in that industry and we were going up against some of the biggest companies cbre is one of the biggest real estate companies if not the biggest in the world and we were bumping into those guys as a 20 pat's two years older than i but we didn't look we were still very wet behind the ears at 26 and 24 at some point you just believe you have something that's different you sell a nimbleness that you don't have a preset box that that someone want that you, that most companies want to put a customer into that you're you'll be willing to create a custom box for that person. Now, that's different if you have a product that's set or whatever else, but if it's a service, uh, we sold around the idea that we can give you something that's very custom that no one else is willing to do. And we did. We we went out of our way to create and, and to add value for stuff that made no sense to be perfectly honest. When we look back on it, I'm like, oh my gosh, we should have charged 10 times what we charged to give that service. But when you start out, you do whatever you have to do to kind of because you, you recognize that it's not just that first client from a capital perspective or from a cash flow perspective, but every client you're bringing on is a testimony to your next client. So you take care of that person and then someone else comes along and say, well, feel free to talk to my first customer or to this customer. And then that snowballs. And so you're always in a place where you are, you're building, if you will. And it's a layer. It's not just a, a linear projection on a chart. I look at it more like it's a layered, it has mass to it versus just a two-dimensional 
chart. But yeah, take that first time when you draw all the money off of two credit cards and put it into a bank account and buy and, and buy and, and hang your shingle and get your business cards. And our business cards, you know, we 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 went to we got our business cards about two days before we went to a national conference to uh, to pitch ourselves as this new company. And I jokingly say my first lawsuit was actually the business card guy. They were still wet, so we would go to the conference. We'd hand out our cards, and people would, "What's wrong with these cards?" They were like smudging and whatever else. And so we went to the business card guy, and we're like, "Hey, man, those cards—they were terrible." And and he's, "You have to pay us. It's like fifty dollars." I'm like, "Whoa." We're not going to pay you. Like they like embarrassed us, and the people we think we're going to get people like getting on their shirts and stuff. And anyways, we worked it out. We paid him. He made us new cards. But it was just that was the very first thing to happen as a new company. And it's like wow, you know, stuff happens. You just push yeah. beyond. And we still joke about those silly business cards. <laughs> anyways, awesome. A small segue. So I was just curious, we've been talking about risk and things like that. So when you're making a decision, what does your thought process look like on assessing the risk involved? I think it, there's a, there's various types of risk. There's risk that is direct risk to capital, to money that you're investing. But there are also ancillary risks like liabilities. When you're going into a business where not only do you have risk to money, but if something goes wrong, there's a risk to the public or to lawsuits or what have you. So you you have to measure all this risk, but ultimately you're looking at your return model. And that's part of, I think, doing that business plan really looks at, and you gut check your models and say, okay, we're going to take X amount of risk on. Is Do we think the reward is there? Can we grow it fast enough to get there? You're never going to mitigate it to a place where you feel comfortable ever. Risk inherently feels like a gut check. But like public speaking or something, once the more you do it, the more attuned and the more accustomed and the more comfortable you are with it. But it still makes you feel uncomfortable, which is also part of its appeal, in my personal opinion. But it's kind of, I don't know. You guys have done a lot of adventuring. I've seen a lot of your pictures. I've seen some of the crazy things you guys have climbed up and, and gone down. I said, that's risk right there. But that exhilaration of, yeah, we're going to climb this waterfall vine thing you guys went through, like. I wouldn't have gone up that thing, <laughs> but don't forget about the secondary risks. It's not, you have to really think about, okay, what are the other risks here? And then there's, you have to be honest about your own risk and responsibilities. Seth started off talking about families and I hedged and said, when you have no family, there's a lot less risk because it's you. But when you do have families and people that rely upon you, they get put into the risk equation. Thank you. That's really good. Um, our, our like this model is based off of passion projects and what drives your passion. Mm-hmm. Do you typically do that when you're looking at a business endeavor or do you look at like holes in the market? How do you go about your new, like new projects? Um, well, I think they both have to be there. It's uh, you probably, I would probably start with looking for pain points and, and yeah. the like, because you can kind of start with passion and then try to fit it into the market. Or you can find things within the market that might center around things that you're passionate about and try to find that confluence of where the two cross. You could start either direction, but I think they both have to be there because you might have, like I was mentioning earlier, someone was like, yeah, we could start charging tenants, you know, a thousand dollars processing these things. I'm like, do I want to process loans through the federal government for charge someone a thousand bucks? Like I have zero passion for that. Mm -hmm. It might've been super profitable, but okay, great. Profit is just one aspect of being an entrepreneur, in my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. It's there's a whole level of 
fulfillment, and I called it artistry earlier, and I think there's an artistic element to it where, this, where the satisfaction is in and of itself of what you've created. I mean, you know yeah. that. How many businesses yeah. have you started? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. Thank you. It feels great to get that website going and you see yeah. something and you're like, oh my gosh, I created that. That's an amazing feeling. <laughs> that's passion. And you feel yeah. that way. Even my wife and I started our, our little apparel business that we started in the last two months. It's uh, When that website was done, I was like, being yeah. like a little kid. <laughs> <laughs> we love looking at it too. <laughs> so... One of the mentors, and I absolutely love your daughter. She is oh, awesome. She's all right. You guys I are thank love you spending for, uh... time with her. <laughs> <laughs> My question is, how do you bring kingdom into your businesses? That is a tremendous question. You can do it a number of different ways. I think that you can do it very intentionally. I have a friend of mine who prays regularly, opens up every one of his staff meetings with a small Bible study that he leads and what have you makes it very clear that it's a Christian-based business and the like, and that is an amazing aspect of his company. When I started my company, I wasn't a Christian, so it didn't really work its way into the culture and DNA, and my business partner was not and is not. So it's a lot of it for me has been my personal conduct and the way that we look at, in particular, our people, because to me, that's what Christ looked at. He, he dealt with a number of different things, but it was always about the folks and how do you treat folks. And that becomes really challenging in business when you start to juxtaposition, you really start to ask yourself that kishi, but what would Jesus do? It, it can be really challenging, especially if you have an employee that's not performing or someone that's not fitting in as a good team member and a good collaborator or someone that just hasn't grown with the rest of the team and their scale and ability. And yet they're still a wonderful person. They might still, you might all be people of faith. And you're like, how do we move this to the next level, which might mean having to terminate or that's a terrible word, but that's the truth of it. And those are, you can only pray through those things. And again, I think having a team around you and hopefully that team is a faith-based team as well, but having that team around you that you can not just be the person making that sole decision. You may be the person ultimately who decides, but what's the, what's the proverb? I believe it is it's just a, a wise man has many counselors. It's, it's, Absolutely the case in your business, even starting off as a 20-year-old. You need multiple counselors. We're nearing the end of our time here, Chris, and I, I wonder if uh, I've got a, just a couple of uh, questions we could conclude with. One is just to tell us about how your team has helped you through this time and, and the difference that has made since that's been such an important emphasis for you. And Secondly, just as a dad raising up a young entrepreneur daughter, and I do this with all my kids, and so it's really fun for me to hear other people like yourself that how do you, there's risk implied in releasing them to the marketplace, and how do you know when you're, you've done enough, and, and how do you know the balance that being a dad that is there to comfort or, or to provide, you know, how do you walk that balance out? So just two questions. One about <laughs> Team I'll take second as a father. Okay. Hopefully yeah. you've, you've built a team and building into that team and into that early structure is a collaborative idea that there's no, you've not put any hard boundaries down necessarily what people can speak into. In other words, if you're, if you built a team of yes men, you are, they're, they're really of no value. You want people to challenge it. You want people to say like, well, what do we think about this? Or if we do this, then this. So it's, 
you feel like the, the value of the team is that you have thoroughly assessed the situation and the risk as, as opposed to everyone saying, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Oh yeah, Chris, you're really smart. No, that's not a great team. A great team is one that I've heard it called like a, a beach ball, the 360 beach ball. They literally spun the ball. They looked at every single panel. You've talked about every scene. You've talked about every nozzle and you basically come to a conclusion of, okay, this is given what we know at this moment, this is what we recommend that you do. And ultimately that entrepreneur has to make that decision. But hopefully it's with some assessment of or some agreement amongst the folks. But occasionally, you know, there's been occasions where I've had to listen to everyone and say, I disagree with everyone and move forward on a different path because I just felt like they were being too afraid or they were being too what have you. And that, But I would say that is less than 1% of the decisions that, that we make. We don't come to some sort of idea or consensus based upon what you know. The second one about raising entrepreneur children, Haley knows that you start early on. It's not something you suddenly just you know, start parenting in a certain way. Kaylee knows that I've always said that pain is the most powerful teacher, which yeah. is not necessarily physical pain, but it's this idea of failing. That when you fail, I've, I've never been a person who says necessarily, if I'm certain I've done it a few times, Haley, but where I say, who did this? Who's at fault? Like why? It's more like, okay, how do we not do this again? You know, how do we look around at it, it, when we do make a mistake or incur pain and say, what did we, what did we learn from this? But as a parent, you, you try to instill values. You try to instill a structure and a love. And, and I would hope that Haley knows that no matter what happens, her worth to me has zero to do with how successful she is uh, as an entrepreneur. Zero. So there's no risk to her. I don't have to, she doesn't have to perform for her father. She doesn't have to be a successful entrepreneur. I will, of course, I want her to meet her goals and dreams and aspirations, but there's going to be bumps. I've pivoted a million times and I've made money and I've lost money. I've had periods during downturns where I've had to turn off my salary and live off of, so that other people in my company could not be laid off. And there's, you, you do what you got to do, but as a parent, at some point, Seth, you just let them go and you listen and you nod and you try to be maybe part of that team a bit, you know, off to the side, not necessarily in the trenches every day, because I don't, you may not always be the best coach for your kid. We've all seen that player coach dad, who's a little overbearing. It's, I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guy who sits behind who's, who's constantly encouraging because Haley knows that I also say that encouragement is a currency. You can spend it or not, but it, when you do, it returns, in my opinion, incredible returns. Mm. Thank you. We're at the end, and I, I really enjoyed talking to you, Chris. I so resonate with so many of the themes, building a team and allowing pain to do what it needs to do, and just not being able to do anything else but take risks, because that's how you're made, and just diving in. All these are I love, uh, it, it resonates deeply with me. And, and we're just so thankful to you for being a father to Haley because she's been an awesome young lady. And we just think, as Chris said, so highly of her. And, and so I, I feel like a real partner with you in, in terms of investing in her and her future because uh, I believe that she's going to change the world. Thanks for, thanks when for ask us When people ask us what she's doing, we literally say, Haley's changing the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she is. Thanks for the time, Chris. I appreciate and I it very much. You guys have a great day. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Global U Talks. If you enjoy this episode or think a friend might enjoy it, go ahead and share it with them. Also, be sure to drop a review or hit that like button on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, or your favorite listening app. It goes a long way to helping us out. And if you're interested in reading the transcript, head on over to globalu.org talks, where you'll find the transcript for every episode.